Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit. Quarantine style. It's the Inventor Show where we're all about entrepreneurism, intellectual property, and fantastic innovations. I'm Richard Gearhart, the founder of Gearhart Law, a full-service intellectual property law firm. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but <laughs> I work But we with do lawyers. argue sometimes, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you don't always win. Rarely, um, trust me. So, so I just want to say, if you have a question about any intellectual property problem, your patent, your trademark, your copyright, a trade secret, litigation, somebody sent you a cease and desist letter, you want to send somebody else a cease and desist letter, this is the guy to if talk to. If you want to. them to cease and desist, we'll cease them. <laughs> this is the guy to talk to. <laughs> so we have some wonderful people here today. I'm so excited about today's show. And it's a variety, as we always do, but we have just incredible people with incredible businesses. But first, before oh. we do that, we have to do IP in the news. And we're going to be talking about the patent office functioning. So years ago, when Richard started the firm, I told him I'd help him any way I could, which was kind of dumb of me. (laughs) (laughs) You really got suckered in. I I didn't have to empty the trash. But but we used to have to take the hard copy patent applications in an overnight hard envelope to the post office to get the date and mail them to the patent office in Alexandria, Virginia. Right. I mean, there was no electronic filing. Everything was done manually. If you wanted to get a patent search done, you had to hire somebody to go to the patent office and check the shoes is what they called them. And they had rows and rows and shelves and shelves of patents and patent searchers would go in there. They would go to the classification and they would sit down there and pull out a stack of patents and manually flip through them in order to find relevant prior art. And of course, things have changed enormously since then, which is a good thing if you're going to have a quarantine because We can do everything electronically now. And while the examiners used to work in the big building in Alexandria, Virginia, now virtually all the patent examiners are working remotely. And the bottom line for us is the patent office is continuing to do its work. They're sending out responses. They're accepting applications. And the system is just keeps on churning and churning away. So anyway, I'm glad to say that even the patent office, which can be a little slow adapting to new technology sometimes, has uh, managed to keep up and we're still going strong during this quarantine. So if you have intellectual property work, it's business as usual Absolutely. At, at the USPTO. And speaking of issued patents. Patent palooza time. Patent palooza time. <laughs> patent palooza for Did sure. I read this right? That Apple got 61 patents issued in May on one single day. Wow. Yes, Apple got 61 patents issued on May 19th, all on the same day. So they've been busy at the patent office. That's like more patents than some companies get in (laughs) a lifetime, right? One day. Yeah, but what I thought was interesting about this is I was reading some blogs and this guy was saying, ah, design patents are worthless. Well, if they're so worthless, then why do they have at least 10 design patents? I didn't look at all 61, but like the, the latest ones, they have like six, seven, eight, nine, 10 design patents. Apple. So do you think Apple wastes money on stuff that's worthless? No. No. I mean, the whole Uh. premise behind Apple is having cool looking stuff, right? They have these very futuristic designs and Steve Jobs was just huge on how his product looked. And if you're out there with a consumer product, how it looks is really, really important. And you can protect that with intellectual property through a design patent. And when Apple and Samsung and all of these companies have their big litigation fights over uh, cell phone technologies. Lots of times design patents are a big part of it because the design patents protect the way the cell phones look, for example, and that becomes the subject of litigation. And some of the bigger verdicts that have been handed down in the cell phone litigation wars have been over the designs of the cell phones, and those designs are protected by design patents. So now on to Fireside. So Mm -hmm. if you've been watching this You know that I started a business called Fireside Directory. It's a video directory of businesses. And I used my time in quarantine the first few weeks to try to meet people and entice them to come on my site and build my site through Zoom interviews. I had been doing really nice interviews with a videographer before, but for now, this is what we get. So 
I've actually been able to start building the site and I've gotten quite a few people on there and I've got a bunch of interviews on Thursday to do and the interviews range in length, but in, in all, I, people are pretty happy with their interviews. They go on my YouTube channel and also on the website and I'm doing what I can to SEO them. So there's some actions I'm taking behind the scenes to <laughs> SEO those. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And if anybody wants to do a video about their business and be on the site, you're more than welcome to. And I think it's a great experience to go and do the video. And the videos look great. I mean, you really got to check them out. And they're perfect for people who, who want to have a video presence, but they're not really sure where do I put this video? What do I do to it? You can put it on the site and then you can link to it. You can promote it. It's uh, really a fantastic tool for helping market yourself and your business. So the site isn't, hasn't been around very long, so it's hard to find. So it's best if you find me on LinkedIn and type in Elizabeth Gearhart Fireside, and then that should give you a link. But anybody can email me if you want to know more about it or message me through LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. So That's absolutely fantastic. So we're going to take a quick break. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on Passage to Profit. We'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We are so pleased and excited to have a return guest who has something perfect for quarantine. Oh my gosh, we have these at home actually. Muse, which is a meditation system, I guess I want to call it. It's not just an app. There's a lot more to it. So welcome, Ariel. Thank you. It's a joy to be back here again. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us. So we want to know what's been going on with Muse and how people are using Muse now during the quarantine, right? Because peace of mind is at a premium these days. So we have seen a tremendous increase in usage. I mean, obviously people are going through stress and anxiety and frustration and frazzledness in their homes. And we're finding people both buying muses brand new and also people who already have muses using them more and more and more people in the household using them because multiple people can use it to meditate. And the other thing that we're seeing is an interesting shift in the kind of content people are listening to. So Muse is a device that tracks your brain during meditation. And then in the app, we have hundreds of guided meditations. And prior to quarantine, the most popular guided meditations were topics like living your best life and you're manifesting your dreams. Now our three most popular topics, number one is dealing with uncertainty. We have a whole meditation for that. Number two is calming the mind. And number three is the meditation titled From Frazzled to Focused. <laughs> so it's no longer about like manifesting your perfect life. It's about like, how can I deal with what's here and now and just like stay calm and stay present. Right. Can you show us the device? Absolutely. So, so this is Muse 2, which is the one that uh, you guys have. And so there are sensors on the forehead. It tracks your brain and gives you real-time feedback during your meditation to let you know that you're doing it right. Because we all know meditation is good for you, but meditation is really hard to do. So Muse gives you real-time feedback on your meditation to let you know what your mind is doing and to guide you into that meditation zone. Yeah, there's sensors for the brain, the heart, the breath, and the body. So it gives you a whole range of exercises and real-time feedback to help you start or improve your practice. So where does that data go, Ariel? Do you, is it in the app? Like, do you get like a little uh, dashboard where you can see all your figures or your analytics? Exactly. So you're getting real-time feedback during the experience. So you're actually hearing when your mind is wandering and when you're focused. And then after the fact, you have data, charts, graph scores, things that show you what your brain, heart, breath, and body have been doing and actually let you track your progress. You can actually see your improvement. 
So yeah. meditation, this thing that previously has been completely intangible, it's like, what's going on during meditation? What am I supposed to do? Now is really tangible. You can see what's going on. You can see what you're supposed to do and you can see when you're getting better at it. So what happens? So I say I have, I'm using the device and my mm -hmm. mind starts to wander, right? And I'm having a thought about something else. What happens in that process? So I'm wondering, what does the device do to kind of bring me back? Like, what's the prompt like? Sure. So the metaphor we use is your mind is like the weather. So when you're thinking or distracted, you actually hear it as stormy. And as you come to quiet focused attention, it quiets the storm. So it's this really intuitive feedback. Your mind wanders to a thought, oh, the storm's picking up. All right, bring myself back down. Ah, the storm's getting quiet. Ah, it's nice and peaceful and quiet. So when you're in the zone, it's nice and quiet. And then when you stay there, you hear little birds chirping. And that becomes an intrinsic reward that your brain gets. It's like, oh, right, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. And then people get super excited about how many birds they have. Have you guys, <laughs> have you guys started competing over birds yet? I can say that the whole bird thing is very uh, exciting. You kind of it almost becomes an obsession because when you're sort of hit that quiet space, you start to hear birds chirping. I think it's great. It helps you with your meditation process. But I have to admit sometimes when I'm not hearing the birds, I start to kind of overthink things a little bit. Like, so where are the birds? What am I doing wrong? You know, but it's a practice. And I, I have to admit that the longer I've done it, the better I've gotten at it. Uh, that's awesome. And that question you just asked, you know, where are the birds? It's actually a feature. So that's meant to undermine the sort of goal-directed nature of it because meditation is not about succeeding or getting rewards. <laughs> and so the first time you get a bird, it doesn't mean anything. You're like, okay, there's a nice Tweety sound, big deal. The next time you get a bird, you're like, yes, I won. I got a bird. And then it flies away. <laughs> and then you can't get the birds again. Right. And so it actually becomes this really intuitive way to teach you to not become invested in your rewards. And so you become uninvested in your failures and you become uninvested in your rewards. And that's our way of teaching you the meditation principle of equanimity, being okay with what is. Because as soon as you get hung up and get in the birds, you don't get them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Ariel, how many people do you have using it now, do you think? Hundreds of thousands, literally all over the world were translated into four languages, French, uh, German, uh, Spanish, um, Japanese is coming down the pipe. And we have literally hundreds of thousands of people from, you know, moms and dads just learning to meditate to professionals who use it to top CEOs to athletes. Um, you know, some of the biggest football teams use it, the Canadian women's soccer team, and then also hospitals and clinics. So Mayo Clinic recently published a study with breast cancer patients using use to help them reduce the stress of breast cancer surgery. And the Mayo Clinic demonstrated that it was able to improve quality of life and decrease stress and fatigue during the cancer care process. That's amazing. And I'm probably just assuming now that it's probably with everything that's going on with COVID could be something that could be used, especially for a lot of the front line, line workers and first responders as having the same effect, like, you know, really helping the impact of that and alleviating in that stress. Absolutely. We actually have a campaign going on now. If you nominate a frontline worker on Facebook or Twitter, we're going to be donating 50 muses to frontline workers across the country. Um, and we've already donated many more and many free subscriptions for people to use because it's so valuable right now. And we also have specific content for caregivers, frontline workers, first responders, um, as well as everyday people. So Ariel, what role does stress play in our health? Stress is incredibly detrimental to your health. You know, chronic conditions like heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, are all exacerbated by stress. And there's actually a great study done by Harvard where they looked at uh, 4,400 people who did a relaxation response course, an eight-week course that was essentially meditation and some yoga. And they looked at their healthcare usage the following year, and they saw that the people who took an eight-week relaxation response course had 43% less healthcare usage the following year. So that is huge, like people not going to the doc, not needing to go to the doctor, not being worried about their health. And you look at the associated costs with that, and it came way down. So that's why hospitals, clinics, and insurers are also so fascinated by meditation, because not only because it can it keep people healthier, but it can save money at the end of the day. That makes total sense. I mean, we have this thing called cortisol in our bodies, right? Yep. That gets triggered, and stress is a big trigger of that. So I could totally see how this could work and leveling and lowering those levels so that your body starts to be more responsive, not just like health overall, but like to exercise. I think sometimes I went through a period where 
I was exercising and exercising and eating right and eating right. And I wasn't getting any results. And it was because my cortisol levels were through the roof. And it was all this whole mind body relationship that goes on that a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they're trying to diet or, you know, get into a particular exercise routine. So it all correlates together. It really does. And during COVID, that becomes even more relevant because, you know, we are all in a place where our stress levels are so high and we're just kind of stuck baseline in a little bit anxious and a little bit stressed every day. So it's really key to do an activity to lower your stress level, to allow your mind and body to relax, to reset yourself, both so that you can be, you know, less snappy at your kids who are stuck at home with you, um, you know, kinder to your husband who's stuck in the house with you, and better to your own body. The other thing that's really key for things like weight loss is sleep. When you don't sleep sufficiently, your cortisol levels continue to rise and your insulin resistance goes up. So it's really hard to lose weight when you don't sleep. And so we actually noticed a lot of people were using Muse to meditate to help them fall asleep. And so we built this new device, Muse S, that you can actually wear to fall asleep in. And it gives you beautiful real-time feedback that's designed to entrain you to fall asleep faster. Well, how much is that one? So Muse S is probably about three fifty, um, but everybody in the family can use it. So one device can be used for years to come, um, and Muse Two I think is around two forty nine. Thank you very much for being on the show. If our viewers and listeners want to find you, how do they connect with Muse? You can go to choosemuse.com to find out more. We also have lots of free COVID resources there as well. And if you want to find us on social, it's at choosemuse and Ariel Garten. So thank you, Ariel, and um, thank you for helping us all handle the crisis. <laughs> Thank you. And it's a joy to be here. All the best to everyone. Thank you. And you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart. And we'll be right back after this message. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gerhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gerhart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And wasn't Ariel impressive? I mean, you know, she took a, an idea, a technology, and, and created like a whole new category and uh, filed lots of intellectual property. She's a good example for everyone. So I think it's fantastic. And now is the time, right? You were saying earlier on in the show how the patent office is still operating and busy and there's a lot of creators that are out there. That this is exactly what people need to be doing right now is creating, filing lots of patents. Uh, she's playing it forward into the future because I just think that this technology is going to be so helpful and stress is such a huge part of our lives. And now she's got a product that uh, helps with sleeplessness. I mean, who hasn't had trouble getting to sleep once in a while at least? And so uh, I can't wait to try that. And we have Kenya Gibson from iHeart here and we have three excellent presenters. So Stay tuned because these are really great products. So we're going to start with Antonio Tomeo. So welcome, Antonio. The name of my company is Antonio's Promise, and I have created and developed um, my own rendition of the cross, which um, through my brokenness and prayer, I was healed. So the cross is something different um, that you normally see the crucifix Um, what it looks like. Uh, When you look at the crucifix, it's Jesus and his suffering and how much he loved us and what he did for us and his love and devotion. When you look at my cross, there is an actual crack in the cross of brokenness and a kneeling figure in the cross of someone in prayer. And that symbolizes how we are all broken and you are not alone and that we are all struggling and we are all going through something at this very time, whether you're dealing with anxiety, 
depression, loss of a loved one, heartbreak, loneliness, COVID-19, anything. You're not alone. And with God's help and love, you can heal and get better. And I developed this for everyone so that you can remember that you're not alone. We are all in this together. And with God's help, you can certainly heal and be lifted. Tell us where you are in production. I'm actually in the manufacturing stages right now. I very soon will be launching Antonia's Promise. Um, I don't want to say when, but let's hope within the next month. So I am very excited. How did you come up with the metaphor of a broken cross to sort of symbolize us as human beings? So when I first was going through this, I was in a very dark place and I happened to find myself at church one day giving myself to God. Um, and a woman appeared who I like to call an angel and she handed me a rosary and my devotion started there. And when I would pray and I would look at the Jesus on the cross um, through my brokenness, I wanted to help. I had made God a promise that if he helped me with something that I was going through at the time that I would spread love and light as a vessel for him. And I wanted to help people and understand that we are all broken. And it just, with God's help, it just started developing and it started presenting itself. And there are so many layers to this story, but I certainly didn't do it by myself. I definitely did it with God's help. Um, we did it together. And, um, you know, we're all broken, you know. So when I look at my cross, that's what I see. And um, I want people to look at the cross and say, that's me. You know, I'm broken and I need prayer and I need Christ and I need help. And it's a constant reminder when you look at it, what the end result is, and that's to pray. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is. I And I just, I think about... Um, just how we were talking about the whole mind body connection. And, you know, sometimes we, we forget that there's that spiritual component that's in there, right? Mm -hmm. So everything that's mm -hmm. going on with our mind, our will and our emotions. And it's so interesting that you've been able to find a way to use your experience with healing, right? Cause I, I do believe like you, there is a creator. And I do believe that we have these unique bodies that we're in that, are made up of cells and they have this unique ability to be able to, to heal themselves. So it's, it's fascinating that you've been able to take your journey and your experience and faith and translate that into a product that inspires and helps people. So that, that's pretty, that's pretty profound. Thank you. And that's what I want. I want it to help and inspire and give people hope and that they're not alone. They're never alone with Christ, but that they really aren't alone because we are all broken in our own way. We have permission to be human. That is correct. We are human. That is correct. We are all human and we are all struggling with something, whether we choose to disclose it or not. No one is alone. Tell us a little bit about process that you went through, uh, starting really with an idea, having brought it to fruition. You're ready to start selling and marketing your product. So tell us a little bit about that journey. When I first created The Cross, I knew I had something unique. I had something different. And I wanted to share this message. And I really just did not give up. I, you know, contacted you. By the grace of God, he put me in your hands. I do believe that. And then you put me in other people's hands, um, Lisa, ask Elise. And, you know, we, I kind of snowballed. But I am more excited than I have ever been about what I'm doing. And I'm so passionate, so passionate about it. You know, I want to help people. I want to bring people happiness and joy. And with this, it can be done. It will be done. I'm very passionate about it and I don't stop. I constantly think about it and the ideas just keep coming during quarantine. I haven't stopped thinking and calling you and going through lots of great things that I think about. And um, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And um, I'm excited. You're going to start selling these. Where would you be selling them? I will be on all social platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter, LinkedIn, and AntoniasPromise.com. I will be launching soon. And hopefully I can come back and really tell you <laughs> that I've launched. But um, it, it's all coming. It's coming soon. Very, very soon. Thank you uh, so much, Antonia, for your story. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And on my website, there will be my inspiration story. There will be all the details that all the questions that everyone has will be on the website that they can read and um, they can be inspired by just like God has inspired me. And that's what I hope to do for everyone else. And I thank you so very much for having me back on the show. And you two have become so special to me. (laughs) So I want to thank you both Elizabeth and Richard for having me and just being such wonderful, wonderful people. And Kenya, same goes to you. Thank you. Uh, well, well, thank you for sharing your story. And I commend your, your strength and your courageousness to share your faith. I know sometimes that's not always an easy thing to do. But, um, you know, I, you're, you've inspired me today. So I, I appreciate you, you know, coming on and continuing to, you know, be a light. Thank you. And that's what it's all about. Well, you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart, The Inventor Show. And we'll be right back after this message. Hi. I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. So now we are on to our third presenter for today, Eric Chesson, and he has an amazing company. I, I think what he does is just fantastic. Eric, can you tell us about it? Thank you absolutely for that introduction. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm the founder of Autism Fitness, and what we do is develop fitness and adapted PE programs for the autism population. And we do this through a a variety of of different components. The main one being our autism fitness certification, which is for professionals and also parents of those on the autism spectrum. Our programs are designed for any and all individuals, regardless of age and regardless of uh, ability level as well. And it's the fundamental tenet of our programming that fitness is looked at as a life skill for for all individuals and that it's uh, inclusive in as much as every individual on the autism spectrum should have access to a great, meaningful fitness program. So what about how you have to do fitness for people with autism versus, say, athletes? Great question. Great question. So it's funny. It's, it's funny you ask because we actually refer to the individuals who we work with as athletes. I like to, and I'm not a a big person in in, in terms of semantics or labels, but our definition from our autism fitness perspective is if you are moving on a regular basis and you're progressing physically, you to us are an athlete. But there are some significant differences. And I would never say, oh, it's the same thing as, as working with Uh, neurotypical or general population, or, oh, it's the same thing as working with sports-specific athletes. There are some very important considerations here. So we don't, and the way that I I, I describe it usually is we don't have the luxury of motivation a lot of the time for our athletes. So historically, the individuals who I've worked with one-to-one and in small groups, they are not necessarily the most motivated individuals in, in participating. And we do see a predominance of off task or what we call maladaptive behaviors. Essentially, they don't want to participate uh, immediately. So what we needed to do was create a curriculum and create a way where we could onboard an athlete and actually create a situation and an environment in which 
fitness was motivating for them. So out of that necessity, I developed a methodology called the PAC profile. That's P-A-C. And before you even ask, yes, we do have that uh, trademarked. It's physical, adaptive, and cognitive. So we're always asking three questions in relation to those three areas of ability. Physically, what can the athlete do in relation to this particular exercise or movement? Adaptive, how motivated are they to perform this exercise and how do we have to incentivize it? And cognitively, not necessarily looking at high functioning versus low functioning because to us that doesn't matter much. We're looking at how best is this individual going to understand what the expectation is. So it leads towards the most effective possible uh, coaching and cueing. And so it's the, the highest net benefit both for the athlete, but also for the practitioner or, or instructor who's delivering that work. So Eric, can you give us uh, some examples of how some of the techniques that you might use? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. So everything that we do is contingency based, which means there's an if then outcome relationship between anything, any methodology, any practice that, that we use. And I'll give you an example. I had uh, one athlete in particular who, uh, when we first started together, he would have frequent meltdown behaviors and he was uh, aggressive. Fortunately, it was manageable. And what we put in place immediately was the most basic guideline for performance. Because the thing that we do, uh, above all other things, is respect our athletes as human beings. So what we did for him was we created a, a visual schedule where he would pick the exercise he wanted to do. We would do a few repetitions of it, and then he would have access to a break or a preferred activity. And this is the ABA or the Applied Behavior Analysis baseline of our work. So it's all, all, it's all derived in validated practices. So we would have this contingency base. So he would perform three uh, push throws, and then he would have access to a break. And then he learned quickly, oh, you know, I, I can get what I want to get, the break, uh, you know, by doing this exercise. And over time, he really became uh, enamored, really started to enjoy the exercises as well. So this is a process that we have ongoing and that our certified pros use with their athletes too. And we found huge success with that. So it's kind of like a holistic coping mechanism that you've created for individuals who are on the autism spectrum, almost as an alternative. So I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of data and there's a lot of probably scientific backing to what you're doing in terms of how beneficial exercise is to someone who could be on the autism spectrum. I'm a trainer mm -hmm. as well. So it's like, sure. I know, I know the benefits to someone who's not on the yeah. spectrum, but I can imagine that there's also a lot of great benefits to someone who is. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a great point. Everything that we know to be true about um, the benefits of exercise for the general population is also true, if not more so, for the autism population. And now that we've had uh, a, a little more in the way of fitness, not much, but a little more in the way of fitness for this population, there's some research being published on decrease in anxiety level, decrease in maladaptive behavior also. And it's fascinating and it's just, it, it's so validating to know that something that we can do is creating such a boost in quality of life. Mm, for sure. And, and, and I commend you because I, you know, I've been working with the general population for the last like, seven or eight years in fitness. And I've never, I haven't ever come across anyone who's really created um, a niche and really have mm -hmm. been able to super serve this particular demographic and population. So that's pretty smart of you to, to think of this. I mean, exercise is hard enough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try to wake up in the morning and exercise and assess. It's a lot. I have a question as a trainer, because you said that you have like, you know, coaches and trainers who you certify in this yep. method. What is that process like? So, you know, say I'm a trainer, I have experience, like what's mm -hmm. the difference between, you know, a typical program? Like I, I have NASM. Yep. Um, so like, what would be the difference between that type of a program versus a type of a program that you would offer? Great question. So you'll see a few similarities. And the biggest difference is 
really getting that PAC profile methodology where you understand the general deficits and challenges that we see with the autism population. And we use a lot of videos, um, a, a lot of references to or examples of the athletes that we're working with. The big difference is we call it know what you're looking at. And this applies to the physical in as much as we do see a lot of physical deficits with the autism population. So it's key to understand how you regress a particular exercise in order to make it meaningful for our athletes. It's also the case that most of the time as a trainer working with the neurotypical or general population, your athlete is probably not gonna run across the room yelling or you know drop to the floor in full refusal to do a squat or do an oh. overhead press that might very well happen although richard i'm looking at you uh, <laughs> that that might be a case but you know w with that we also have to address those behaviors that we see um and then from the cognitive perspective learning not to overcoach i think is the biggest hurdle or, or obstacle learning to do a lot more by saying a lot less so eric i have a question for you yeah. how did you get into this because this is really a niche area as mm -hmm. kenya mentioned yeah uh at, at the risk of using a uh, a well-hammered overused term it was pretty organic i started out as a personal trainer working with general population and then in uh, graduate school in, um, uh, in a behavior science class, I had a classmate who turned to me and said, hey, I work in this program with teenagers on the autism spectrum. Uh, we've never had a dedicated fitness program. Would you be interested in coming in and giving us um, some strategies and, and, and working with the students in this program? At the time, I thought I was going to wind up going into sports psychology or, or something melding fitness and psychology. And lo and behold, it wound up being this. I never, I never thought I would be doing that, but I saw that there was a huge uh, need for, for this type of work and not just for the work to be done, but for the work to be done as well as it possibly could. So how do you measure progress? Using the methodology, we can measure progress uh, across all three areas of ability. Physically, if an athlete is completing the movement independently now, because we use a lot of physical prompting where, where we need to also, uh, let's say an athlete goes from uh, three overhead presses with a, two, uh, with a two pound object, and then the week after they go to five, demonstrating an increase in, in their physical capability, but it goes deeper than that because we can demonstrate increases in adaptive or behavioral functioning. Maybe last week that athlete would step over three hurdles and then they'd veer off and be across the room. And three weeks later we can show, oh, they'll go through five sets of hurdles in a row and be totally cool with it. And then from a cognitive perspective, they're also, we're creating this new dialogue about exercise. So they're learning new terms, uh, learning new, the names of new exercises. So does progress in athletic training and exercising also translate into other types of progress for the individual? Beautiful question. The goal of our programming is generalization across environments and, and across different people too. And that's a, a lot of our programming is derived from what are going to be the exercises that are gonna create such a benefit that this individual will have greater capacity in what we call activities of daily living or ADLs. So what's going to help an athlete climb a, a set of stairs with a better gait pattern? What's gonna help them be stronger at carrying groceries or doing laundry? What's going to prepare them if they're sitting for a while to not lose uh, trunk stability and fall into a problematic postural position, right? So we wanna take what we're doing in the lab, in the gym, and have that generalized to all other areas of their life. So Eric, this is fabulous. I mean, I, I've never heard of anything like this before. It's been absolutely fantastic talking with you, Eric. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. How do they find you? Uh, at autismfitness.com. You can contact us through there. Our Facebook page is very lively. We put up a lot of videos and, and writing about the concepts we use. Uh, it's The Autism Fitness on Facebook and The Autism Fitness 
on Instagram as well. Well, thank you for doing this great work. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Elizabeth. And we'll be back after this message. This is Passage to Profit, The Inventor Show. On WOR 710, The Voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And for our third and unfortunately final presentation this evening, we have with us Mark Lassoff from Framework TV. So, uh, Mark, you've been a previous guest, so glad to have you back. Well, thank you for inviting me back. So tell us what you've been up to. Sure. Well, we are continuing to work on our project Framework Television. We are getting closer to launching our first season. For those who didn't hear about it last time, we are a video on demand network that teaches skills like coding, web development, and digital design. We have free content that's available on the web, YouTube, your mobile device, and digital streaming devices like Roku and Apple TV. Our goal is to help people learn career building digital skills that are really the modern literacy of business today. How do you design a website? How do you just create a mobile application? Things like that. We're monetized by professional technical certifications that can be earned by our most serious viewers. And the certification series is really designed to allow someone to access entry-level jobs in the technical industry in developing software, mobile apps, websites, or doing digital design. So to update, we've uh, formed our cast of professional technical instructors, all of whom are hopefully as we speak, creating content that'll be launched with our season one that starts in June on all of the platforms. And uh, we are getting numerous people signing up to learn with us at frameworktv.com. We've spent a great deal of time recruiting technical people who are also communicators. And if you know the stereotype, developers don't tend to be the best communicators on earth. So we've worked really hard to find technical folks who could bridge that gap for newcomers and help them understand the technology using plain language and showing one step at a time instruction that just about anyone can relate to. Are you getting a huge influx of people coming to your channel now? I, I, I have to imagine people want to learn this during this time because that's where the jobs are going to be, especially, if, you know, all this remote stuff is probably not going to totally go away, right? I, I don't think so, no. And, and we actually ran a complimentary COVID-19 code camp when all this started. We had several thousand people go through the program where they learned the Python programming language and learned basic programming during COVID. We had participants, we had a father and son team. I think the son was was 10 and dad was in his 40s. And we had a couple of people in their 80s participate and finish the program as a way of just staying sharp and learning something new during this period. But I think one of the uh, unintended side effects of the COVID-19 pandemic is that online education has really come to the forefront. And while we attack online education a little bit differently than some other companies, I think it's something that's here to stay and something that has great power to equalize the playing field because a technical education that costs thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars can now be had for very little money in the comfort of your own home on your streaming video device like your Roku or your Apple TV. So Mark, how does somebody know whether they're cut out to be a programmer? (laughs) Is is there a test or... You know, do people just try it and find out if it's for them? What advice do you give your students on this? So here's the test right now. 
do you want to do this and will you put in the effort? Because you don't need to be extremely smart. You don't need to be a mathematical wizard or have a lot of experience with technology and computers. Desire trumps all that. So if you're eager to learn, this is something that can be learned. Our curriculum actually was used inside the Florida prison system to teach convicts, many of whom had no background in web design, to create websites and then they could leave the prison system with some actual job skills that made them employable. Um, so we work with just about anybody who wants to learn. The thing I tell people is you should be comfortable using your computer. You should know how to manipulate files in your operating system, save and load files, and you know, know how to type. And if you're willing to learn, I, I think then you're gonna be able to, to complete the program. I, that's such fantastic news because there's always this mystique around computer programmers, right? That they're like, they're walking geniuses, which a lot of them are, and that you just have to be super smart and you have to have a big math brain. But what you're saying is that this is a world that can be open to a lot of people. I'll take myself as an example. I graduated in the half of the class that made the upper half possible. Um, <laughs> so... What I think is great about the technology field is that it is a meritocracy to a large degree. And that if you develop the skills and you work at it, you will work. There is such a shortage of people coming into development even now that we don't have the luxury of caring about some of the things that other fields use to exclude and discriminate. If you want to do this and you put in the work, you will be able to do this. And it's a very rewarding field. It can be a lot of fun. But, you know, I mean, I think the one thing that should exclude some people is that if you don't like it, don't do it. Life is too short. Do what you enjoy. And this happens to be something that's accessible to people, people working at home, people from all sorts of backgrounds um, that enables them to make the type of living that supports a family. And it doesn't matter if you have a college degree, if you have the skills, you will work. I just have a couple quick questions. So how much time do you have to put into it? Can you go at your own pace? So how long would it take to maybe get a certification so you could start making money? And, and about how much could you make, do you know? There's a range of jobs inside of development and design. Um, and one of the problems and misunderstandings is people think that development is some kind of monolith. So entry-level jobs where you'd compete with someone who maybe got a two-year degree at a com community college are really the types of jobs we're trying to help people get into. And with six months to a year of really you know, intensive work, you can earn the necessary series of certifications, build the portfolio that makes you competitive, and get the professional competence and confidence to begin working. Entry-level jobs in the New York area tend to pay fifty dollars to $80,000 a year in the field, and experienced developers can make close to $200,000 a year. That, of course, varies by region and experience. What we're trying to do is create an accessible program on TV, on your mobile device, that gives people the fundamental skills to get their foot in the door. Once you get your foot in the door, you're in the industry and you're going to continue to progress as long as you continue to learn, improve your skills and do excellent work. Yeah, no, I was just taking a look at your website. Um, so I see you have game design uh, and I, I'm looking at that industry as gaming being a very robust industry that's just growing leaps and bounds. So it's yeah. cool to see that you have that as offering. Yeah, games, um, the average game now costs more than the average movie to make. So there's a lot of exciting things happening in the gaming industry. And I, I, development for it is one of the things we teach. Yeah, well, gaming is a huge industry because they have those competitions that are sponsored. And those guys make a lot of money. Yeah, and it also, I mean, even on our end, I, so I work on the radio side of the music business. And we're seeing now, because of COVID, a lot of artists are now even using gaming and avatars and that whole technological platform to create music videos and music integrations mm -hmm. now because we don't have there's no luxury of going into a studio or going in onto a big set to record a music video so 
we're seeing a huge transition into that whole platform as a way to um, drive music sales. Although I'll put in a plug for the older generation here, people who are aged like me. Phil Collins actually appeared in a video game in the late 80s called Vice City Stories. And they actually put a full concert into that game. But now you're seeing artists do really interesting things with it. It's a really exciting time in gaming. And we have people who are learning the fundamentals of game development in our program. It's an exciting part, I think, of the development field. Which is funny because, you know, there was that faux pas, you know, years ago that you couldn't make any money in video games. Like, who, you know, and I see all these, these young kids now who are gamers and it's just this whole other world that, really people are just starting to talk about now, which is, which is pretty exciting. So I, th- I think it's something else that's been facilitated a bit by COVID. I know for a lot of young people, gaming has provided a tr- tremendous social outlet for them to relate to others um, when they can't you know, go outside and meet their friends or go to school. So I think for a lot of parents, it turned to something they kind of looked sideways at to a welcome relief. Yeah, for well, sure. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been very informative. And thank it's, you. It's great that you're developing this program and helping so many people acquire skills that are, are really well needed out there. So thank you very much. And we appreciate having you here. And Thanks for inviting me. We are going to another break. You're listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart with Passage to Profit, the inventor show on WOR 710. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation for First, Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. It's amazing the amount of innovation that happens with people in this country and around the world, too. So to summarize, we had Antonia Tomeo with Antonia's promise. Eric Chesson with Autism Fitness, and that's the name of his website, and Mark Lassoff with Framework TV, and it's frameworktv.com, and you can find them online, and Antonia, I know we can find you on Facebook, and you'll have your website up soon. So before we leave, any words of wisdom, Kenya, before we jet off into our next COVID experience? Oh, wow. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I can't wait till this whole thing is over. But no, nothing really. I just, you know, I got to talk about a lot of my uh, favorite things today, which is fitness, spirituality, and tech. So I, that was awesome. And everybody had great presentations and great business ideas and great business models. And I'm really excited to see where everybody is on the other side of this whole thing, because this is the time to create and make some money. And I have to give a big shout out and thank you to our producer, Noah Fleischman, who has taken these Zoom video recordings and really tried to make them into something that can go on a radio show, because it's really hard to get good enough audio to really be on the radio with these. And he's just done a fantastic job. So stay tuned for next week when we will have another wonderful show. And you're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 the voice of New York.